James chapter 5, we are, well, we aren't doing anything. James is landing the plane and summarizing everything that he has taught. So that means we should speed up and go through it as quickly as possible, right? (laughs) So he's like, yes, no, no. One, that would just mean we get to the next thing faster. That's no fun. But two, if God has gone to the trouble of repeating himself, do you think we should maybe like stop Take a deep breath and and see if there's a good reason for that. Because I would. I would think that would be a good thing. So we don't want to just zoom through. So we're going to treat chapter 5 a little bit like we treated chapter 1. We're going to slow down and make sure we cover all of these little things so that we don't miss anything. But that doesn't mean we also forget everything else, right? Because just because we're going to cover it again doesn't mean we shouldn't do a quick little recap. So you ready for your Book of James recap? It's going to be quick, right? We live wisely in Christ. We persevere in Christ. We walk faithfully. You know what we say next? In Christ. We guard our thoughts and our actions in Christ. And we live carefully in Christ. Are you seeing the recurring theme of the book of James here? Everything that you are doing is supposed to be grounded in Christ. Now, what, pray tell, would it look like if you weren't doing that, and what warning would you give? Ta-da! That is what this section is. So with that, we will get a chance to go back over some stuff, but also a chance to apply the living in Christ to our world. Sound like fun? All right. You guys are a little skewed this way today, which so is my Sunday school class, so I'm going to have a crick in my neck by tomorrow. So, so if I don't look at you guys, don't feel bad. It's not that you know, you're uglier than this side of the room. It's just there's more on that side of the room, so I start, start leaning where all the people are. So let's dive into verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Wow, James was in a good mood when he started this chapter, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> makes, you, makes you wonder if he owed somebody money when he started writing this part, like mid-letters, like, hey, you got that 20 bucks, you're like, you know what you... No, that's not how this works. What is James building all of his teaching on? Christ, and where would we learn about such information? You need to find something like maybe a gospel, right, somewhere? So something like Mark 8. Jesus summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to lose his life, I'm sorry, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? See, if you are living to be rich, if you are living to build your life in the here and the now, you are not, by definition, being wise, walking faithfully, guarding your heart and actions, and living carefully in Christ. Therefore, you are setting yourself up for a failure. Go back to James 1. He's covered this. The brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation. Because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Now, remember the context of Scripture. Because if you do not, you will go to bad, bad places. And I'm sure you couldn't possibly imagine 
a mental place that someone would take a verse like this and run to in, in, in ignorance of context. I mean, no one would ever decide that it'd be a good idea to have church teaching tell you that anyone accumulating money for any reason would be absolutely bad always, right? No one would ever say anything like that and then argue that we need to take the money from the rich and turn into Robin Hood. Nobody would ever teach anything like that, would they? Not, no, no, it would never happen. It's ridiculous to even think about that. <sighs> feels like the modern world just sits there and looks at the Bible and goes, you know, I wonder if there's a way we can twist this somehow. So why is this, why is the brother in humble circumstances to glory and the rich man to glory in his humiliation? Well, there's a blessing in the humility in this place. There is also a danger in being exalted in this place. If this world is not my home, and if this world is not the place for which I should be living, then there is great danger to my heart and mind when this world loves me and I love it. Because I, be, I begin to then place my hope and my trust and my security where? In myself and in this world. When the world hates me, it's actually easier to forsake the world. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I don't spend a lot of time trying to hang out with people who hate me. I mean, you just might have a fetish for that, like being yelled at and told you're evil, but, you know, most of the time we go and hang out with people that like us and are nice to us and enjoy our company. When that is the world then you are being pulled constantly. And we've talked about this. You can't just walk in a sinful world as if nothing is going on and continue on a righteous path. It cannot be done. Why? Heart. Desires. Lusts of the flesh. Desires of the eyes. The things that are constantly just pulling ever so slightly. If you don't pay attention, ever walked in the ocean? Walk in about knee-deep water at the ocean and don't pay attention to where you're going. Where will you end up? <laughs> Out somewhere in deep trouble. Why? Because what's happening? Constant waves, constant undertow. You're just forever. If you don't make a concerted effort, can you walk a straight line? No. Welcome to the world that you live in. There's some culture over here. There's some news over there. There's the things that you want pulling. And everything is just washing and pulling and dragging you along. And if you just stand there and let it go, where will you end up? I don't know. I, <laughs> probably, probably nowhere good. I don't know where you're going to end up, but it's probably going to be nowhere good. This is why you, again, what, what, what do we do? We live wisely. We trust in Christ. We walk carefully. We guard our thoughts and actions. Everything grounded in Christ. Luke 12. This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Part of understanding the context of scripture is a reminder of where did you come from and where are you going? Because those two things have the same answer. You are here because God has created, and you will stand before him to give an account. If you forget that for any reason, then it becomes a lot easier to just wash and float along. What's the cure? First Timothy 6. 
Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare in many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So I Proverbs 30, building wisdom. Two things I ask of you, do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. What do you want? For whom are you living? And when is enough enough? You have to answer those questions, and you have to answer them in regards to how you're living, how you're working, how you're dealing with your neighbors, how you're raising families, how you're doing everything. Because if you get those questions wrong, or worse, you ignore them, they will rule you. So let's cover this. Is there eternal value in intentionally being a pauper? See, I would argue no. I would argue absolutely not. Why? Because you're going out of your way to not be a good steward. You're going out of your way to not work well, be successful in the endeavors that God has gifted you towards. That is a denial of who you are and how God has made you. Likewise, is it a good idea to ignore your family and go to work and secure as much riches as you possibly can so that my kids will grow up well and I can give it to church? (laughs) Is that a good idea? No, because your first ministry is always where? At home. You don't provide for them with money alone. You provide for a family with care, with teaching, with instruction, with discipleship. Now, does that mean you never say, I can't be a part of this thing at home because I have to be at this thing at work? No, you never say that. You can say that on occasion. I'll give you a perfect example. Lou has done nothing wrong. Lou's not here today because his work said we got to go clean out a warehouse on Mother's Day. How often are they? How often do they do that? It's the first time they've ever done that. Is he happy? No. Is he thrilled about this prospect? Does his family wish he was around for stuff? Would he rather be here? Yes. Is he sinning? No. Sometimes life throws monkey wrenches in your plans and you have to deal with things. That's why we use the driving analogy. Our speed bumps catastrophes. They shouldn't be. When are they? When you're not paying attention, all of a sudden you hit your head because you weren't wearing your seatbelt, or when you hitting one, you panic and now we have a catastrophe because you did something dumb over a small little bump in the road. You saw it coming because you were looking, you deal with it, and then you move on. This is the life that we live in Christ. Balance in everything by making sure everything is where? underneath the lordship of Christ, which is, again, you have wisdom in Christ. You live carefully in Christ. You guard your heart and your actions in Christ. To avoid those things is to fall into one of these ditches that Proverbs warns you about, that James is now warning you about. James is giving a warning to those who are trusting in this world for their security and their safety. And he's not done yet. So let's go to verse 2. Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. 
James, again, not inventing new ideas. We've never heard anything like that coming from Jesus before, have we? No, no warnings like maybe Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, your perspective on life matters. So, what this side of heaven has eternal value? so guess what you have to try to figure out how do i live a balanced life how do i live a life that provides that allows me to live in the world while not loving it above god and here's the fun part that is going to look different for every single one of you every one of you some of you have a job that if they called you at four o'clock on a friday morning you would do what you would look at the phone and go, <laughs> click, and put it back down. Some of you have a job that if the phone rings at 2 a.m., you're like, nope, that's going to voicemail. It is not that important. I'd see you in the morning. You know one person in this room who doesn't have a job like that? It me. <laughs> Part of that is my job. So what do I do with that? I deal with it. Am I thrilled when the phone rings at 2 o'clock in the morning because somebody's at the hospital? Just so you know, no. I am no, less ha- I am no more happy to be there than you are. <laughs> I, but that's my job. That's what I've been charged with. And you know what? We can do it joyously. Because remember, there's a difference between being happy and living joyfully, isn't there? Yeah, I'm not happy about a lot of things, but my joy is in Christ. Therefore, I can do my job. Cameron's not in here to vouch for me, so you'll just have to take my word for it or ask her later. There are many a time when the phone rings... Or the email goes off, and I go, and then 45 minutes or 60 minutes or two hours later, the phone is put back down. And do you know how many times it's been a slog and a beating? None. Because it's always valuable, and it's always worthwhile, because it is an offering unto Christ. It is discipleship in action. And some of you guys know who I'm talking about. You've called and been like, I'm sorry for calling. Don't be. Something's going on. It's important. We deal with it because that's what we do. That's how we live. Some of you don't have jobs where you have to worry about that. Some of you do. You have to figure out where your lines are, where your balance is, and how do I surrender this unto Christ as well? Because the value that we're trying to build is eternal in nature, not temporal, not for here. If we are building things for here, we've missed the boat. We have taken our eyes off the prize not paying attention in our driving analogy. We're heading towards a ditch. If you like a good example of this, mentioned this before, we'll mention it again. Ecclesiastes does an excellent job of running down the folly of the world. So go to chapter one. I said to myself, behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me. In case you're ever wondering about pride. (laughs) Now in Solomon's case though, when God tells you he's going to make you wise, is it bragging to say that God has made me wise? I don't think so. It just, it just doesn't read well, does it? Not a few thousand years later. And my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I realize that this is also striving after the wind. Because in much wisdom there is much grief. And increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Oh, don't you love that beautiful little look at life? 
The more you know, the more you know what? What you don't know, and a lot of times what you wish you didn't know. There's, what's the old phrase? Ignorance is bliss. There's a beauty to living simply in the world, which is why your Bible calls you to it. Solomon's looking out at the world, smartest man alive, saying, I know a lot of stuff, and you know what I wish I didn't know? A lot of stuff. So he continues in chapter 2. I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom stood by me, and all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I didn't withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and this was my reward for all my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done, and the labor which I had exerted, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was no profit under the sun. What do idols accomplish? They do accomplish something. Grief. For who? No, idols don't care. They don't exist. Who do idols grieve? They're worshipers. Every idol has done the same thing to everyone who's ever followed it. It has broken the heart of its worshipers every single time. Why? Because it can't do anything else. It can't possibly accomplish anything else. This is why the prophets of the Old Testament mocked them. Like you take a tree and you cut it down. You cut it in half. And this half you carve up so that you can burn, you can burn in the fire so that you can heat your home. But this half you carve up so that you can make an idol out of it. And you carve it into a lovely statue. And then you pick it up because what can a carved wood statue do? Nothing. So you have to pick it up, and then you put it on your mantle because it can't get there itself, and then you pray to it to give you things. It does seem stupid. That would be the definition of dumb, and what's the rule? Don't do dumb things. That rule is, when is, when is that rule in effect? Always in effect. Always remember that. Remember, we live wisely in Christ, which means we don't do dumb things. And when we find out we're doing dumb things, we remember for that too Christ died, and then we keep on going. But this is why Isaiah is mocking it. Because you're looking at the idol, you know it's useless, and yet you have placed all of your hopes and dreams upon it. Where is that going to lead but heartbreak? My wisdom, my accomplishments, my bank account, my retirement, my family. You know what they all have in common? They make lousy idols. Because they too will do the exact same thing. If my joy is in anything other than serving and living in Christ, then my joy is placed in the wrong place. If my hope is anywhere other than the kingdom that God is building, then my hope is in the wrong place. And if my security is in anywhere other than the grace and mercy poured out, poured out by God upon a people who do not deserve it, then my hope is in the wrong place. Idols break your heart. Vanity, vanity, striving after the wind. Again, it's the Midwest. There's lots of open fields. Go chase the wind one day and let me know how that works out for you. Nothing else, you'll get a good jog out of it. Now, this is the other reason this is so important. There's actually a more insidious side to this. What's the power behind your idolatry? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. What do I mean? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that, a, that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. What did Jesus say the lineage 
of the people of Jerusalem and their religious leaders was. You're of your father, the devil. That's why you lie, because he's a liar and a murderer. Gee, nailed that one, didn't he? Because they were going to tell lies about him and then do what? Murder him. Where would they go and get an idea like that? You want to understand the world that you're in, understand that there's a broad and a narrow road. There's a wide and a narrow gate. There's not another way in this place. You're either serving God or you're paganly serving your sin, which he, this, the serpent and his offspring. What's his offspring? Like little children running around? Well, yeah, but who are they? They're us. This is why I'm always trying to get you to understand. Sin is not in what you do. It's in who you are, how you think, what you want. What is James worried about here? Don't place your hope. Don't place your trust in the things of this world. That doesn't start with the things of this world. That starts with you, what you want, what you desire, how you live based on what you want and what you're trying to attain. Now, your mileage will vary. Why? Because your life varies because you live in a different world than the people sitting next to you and you live in a different world than i do so you have to evaluate for who for you this is why your your ministry starts at home and starts with who me evaluating my heart my thoughts which then determine my action so because of this verse three your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you Ooh. Getting interesting. The things of this world have turned on you. What's the, what's the testimony again? Not the stuff. The fact that it is falling apart. Matthew 25. The one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten. Um, that seems mean, doesn't it? Some of you are going, No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm right there. Stop being so jaded. <laughs> what was the problem from the very beginning? Was it the actions of the slave? Was that the problem? No, because the actions were determined by what? A heart. You gave 10 talents. What did the guy do? Went and did something with it and made 10 more. You gave another one five talents. What did he do? Went and did with something with it and made five more. You were so busy being terrified that you took your one, you buried it somewhere and hid it in the ground so that nothing bad would happen to it. Why? Because you're a wicked master. Doesn't look like he was wicked to the other two, does it? Because of how you perceived the world, how you thought about it, how you acted. Was he serving God or was he serving an idol? And idols do what? Break your heart. What's the point of your life? What's the point of your stuff? Your money? Here's another one. What's the point of your struggles and difficulties? Because life has just been awesome for all of you, right? Nothing has ever gone bad. You've never lost anything. You've never been injured. You've never been severely ill. None of that's ever happened to anybody in here, ever, right? Why? Doesn't God love me anymore? 
Isn't he paying attention? Hasn't he seen? Why am I having difficulty? Why am I having pain? See, all of these things are meant to bring you where? In Christ. You work for Christ. You make money for Christ. You struggle for Christ. You suffer for Christ. This is what, where does James start? Bear up under pressure. Well, do I need to be told to bear up under pressure if there's not going to be any pressure? (laughs) So the fact that you're warning me to stand strong and firm means what's going to happen. Yeah, now let's be honest. We started with this. What does that look like? See, because this is where we mess ourselves up. We look at the world and we go, well, yeah, it makes sense. They're being killed. They're throughout Roman history, right? From this point forward, and, and they're going to be taken to the Colosseum, and we're going to boil them in oil, and we're going to feed them to the lions, and send them off to the gladiators. We're going to do all sorts of stuff, burn people to stake. We think persecution. We think that sort of difficulty. Christian, stand firm so that every wind and wave of doctrine so that the seas and tides and undertoes of the worldviews that are going on around you are not drifting and grabbing and pulling you. That's where you stand firm. That's part of how you walk, part of how you bear up, is that the world... Let's be honest. If you just cruise along, doing whatever the newest, latest thing is, does the world pay any attention to you? No, because it's what? You're just drifting along with it. When, is, when, do you, when does the tide become a problem? If you're willing to just lay there, is the tide a problem? No, because it's going to take you where it wants you to go, and you're content to do that. When does the tide become a problem? When I want to go the other way. Now the tide is an issue. Now we have a fight on our hands. Well, when you just live in the world and drift along and do whatever and have whatever you want in it, is it a problem? No. Because they don't think it is. They just go along. When does it become an issue? When you go, no, I'm here. And does it matter if you have just drifted along for 10, 20, 30 years? And you've just decided, no, no, no. This is the one thing I don't want to deal with. The tide still does what? Oh, yeah? (sighs) Blessed are you when you bear up under trials. That's where we stand firm. When are you supposed to walk faithfully? When can you walk faithfully, Christian? Now. Not 10 minutes from now. Now. I bear up now. How do I make sure that when they start to boil me in oil, I'm going to be all right? How do I know I'm going to stand firm then? Because I'm going to stand firm now. And if I stand firm now, and I stand firm now, and I stand firm now, then when I get to the boiling oil, what am I going to do? I'm going to stand firm. Not, by the way, uh, if they give me the option, I'm not choosing the boiling oil, just so you know. Just, it's, the, it's, just the, it's the most fun example I can think of. The rest of them, yeah. <laughs> Beheadings aren't any fun. I, I, it's, it is my personal favorite of all the persecution methods because, historically speaking, they tried to do that with John and it didn't work. And we've talked about this on a Wednesday night with Bible study. That's just like my favorite history of the church thing. Like, what did that look like? Like you strung the guy up and you tried to drop him in the boiling oil and it didn't take? Like, did you dip him in and like count to 10 and then pull him out and he just didn't cook, but he's still dripping? I mean, is he clean? These are the questions that I wonder. Like, did you do it again? Like, Like, how many times do you dip him in before you go, you know, we got to come up with a different plan here. 
That's when they send him off to Patmos. But see, these are the random thoughts that I wonder about. And so that I, I, never, I never get that as the primary means of persecution out of my brain for that very reason. How does John do it? Because it was never a thought process for John to go anywhere else and to do anything else. Because it was never a thought process to John to do anything other than stand firm, to bear up. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. This is the constant drumbeat of your Bible. You do that by how, Christian? Wisdom in Christ. Walking in Christ. Guarding heart and mind in Christ. My wealth is for the work of Christ. My family is an offering unto Christ. My life is an offering unto Christ. My children, my work, my, fa- my family, my neighbors, everything that I do, the conversations that I have are an offering unto Christ. This is, by the way, you want security and evangelism? I don't know if I'm any good at it. Don't do it for them. Do it for Christ. I'm not convincing you. I'm proclaiming Christ. I'm not changing your mind. I'm wielding the sword of the Spirit that the Spirit has given to me. I am proclaiming Christ. It's not about you. It's about God. That's why I joked this morning. Somebody made mention that they're doing the protests at churches today because it, it's Mother's Day and all the, the, the abortion stuff that's going on. That, and I, you know what my first thought was? And I, the first thing that I said out loud, if you were in the foyer, don't spoil it. My first thought was, that would be so much fun. <laughs> like, I would stop. Like, if they all came charging in with their signs, we would stop and go talk to them. It wouldn't be long before we'd have to throw them out. But why? Because I'm not going to change their minds, but I am going to get to do what? Proclaim Christ. Honor him. And get a good chuckle out of tying some people in a knot. But it would be fun. I'm weird like that. Do you know why we should all be a little weirder about that? Because we don't rejoice in just serving Christ. We think there's supposed to be a, something I get from it or a gimme that I receive. No, my joy is in Christ. I've told you this a thousand times. Enjoy the war against your sin, because this is what you get. This is the world that you live in. Enjoy killing that sin today. And once it's dead, we'll kill that one tomorrow, because that'll be the thing that I do. And then 20 years down the road, if God gives me breath, you know what we'll do when we get to that sin? We'll kill that one too. And you know how we'll do it? Joyfully, because God has now shown me where my problem is, and he has empowered me to overcome it. 1 Thessalonians 5, now as the times and the epochs, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they're saying peace and safety, destruction will come upon them, suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of day, and we are not of night nor of darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober, for those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as the helmet, the hope of salvation. In other words, live to serve Christ. And as we do that, what will surprise you in this world? How many times have you said that? You turned on the news and you, you saw the random thing from the pagan world and gone, I can't believe that they are dot, 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 dot. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Because what does the sinful heart want? Everything. When does it want it? Right now. Mm-mm. When you recognize that, it makes perfect sense. What do you do? You proclaim Christ. You stand firm and honor him. 
So your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be a witness against you, and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Again, James like started at 11 and keeps going up. <laughs> but theologically speaking, this is, this is always something fun to cover. Christian, when are the last days? That, yes! Yes! This is what Paul is talking about, what Peter's talking about. The last days, Jesus ascended, we're in the last days. Congratulations. That's when people always come to me with, you know, the revelation thing and be like, well, when are the last days? Yes. I mean, what are the signs? This is, this is one of the reasons why I always laugh because you guys remember, um, I don't know, I say remember, like it was a big deal when I was seven to me, but, you know, I, I study enough history to be dangerous. So remember there was the, the 88 reasons Jesus was coming back in 1988? Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Vern was like, all this time. <laughs> so you know what happened the next year, right? It was 89 reasons why he's coming back in 89. And you can't get away with that the third time. Yeah, you're, you, at this point, you'd be like, the book's too long and nobody's going to read it. But this has been true for every group. There was, um, is it the Millerites? In the mid-19th century, they went rolling out into the middle of nowhere, into the fields. Be like, why? Because Jesus is coming back, and he's going to land right here on Tuesday. And everybody went rolling out on Tuesday, and, and I got really bad news for them. Because that was like 1840-something, and it's 2022, and we're still spinning, and Jesus didn't come back. And they did this for a couple of years, and after a while, you can only claim that so many times before you're left with either the group disbands or somebody's got to drink Kool-Aid. And, you know, either way, that ends badly, you know, going in either direction. Why? Because this isn't for you to know. It's not for you to plan. Like, if I told you you were going to die on April, uh, April 24th, you know, 2031, that would change the way that you live, wouldn't it? It would probably make you more reckless now and less reckless as the day drew near because you knew. There's a blessing in not knowing because it is a strengthening for you to walk faithful when. Now, because where do I live? Now, I walk now. This was Paul's encouragement to the churches. This is what he was getting on with the Thessalonians about. What are you worried about? You live in the day. You don't walk in darkness. Therefore, when the day comes, you'll be ready. Because you've been ready every moment that you've thought about it. Every moment since you have entered into faith. You have been ready and you will be ready. Therefore, there's nothing to fear. The world fears because they don't know. This is what separates the showing up of God from the, the, the pagan from the believer when God shows up. The worry and the concern and the terror because you recognize your sin versus those of us who realize that our sin has been dealt with. See, this is Revelation 20. The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and the grave gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire, and this is the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Ooh, who wants to sign up for this? So we're going to go and rewind the video of your life, and we're all going to watch it together. And then we're going to make determinations about what kind of person you are based on what we see. <laughs> How many of you were like, that would be fun? Said no human being ever. Revelation 20, judged according to your deeds. Why aren't you terrified of that, Christian? 
because my deeds are righteous because they are in Christ. This is the Matthew 7 passage we talked about a little bit last week. I'm not afraid of how the world looks at me because I hold them to the same standard I hold me. So when I look at the world and go, you're sinning and need to repent, they go, oh yeah, what about you? I'm sinning and need to repent. That's the life that we lead. That's the life that we exist in. And as I'm repenting and trusting, I am being faithful now. And for that, Christ has died. For that, Christ has lived. My righteousness is not mine. It is his, which means as I trust in him and as I repent and as I walk now, I walk strengthened by him so that as you evaluate my life, you're evaluating in light of the work of Christ. So judge me for my deeds. Because when you go, that's awesome. I go, that's in Christ. That's terrible. That one was me. And that one we got to work on killing. Nothing has changed. The standard hasn't moved. This is how we live in the world. So verse 4. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. That would be bad. That's, by the way, a sin according to God's law. If you go back to Deuteronomy 24, you shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your countrymen or one of your aliens who is in your land, in your towns. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets, for he is poor and sets his heart upon it, so that he will not cry out against you to the Lord and it becomes sin in you. So in other words, if you hired somebody to do a job and they did the job, what should you do at the end of the job? You pay the man. That's how this works. If you didn't do that, is that a him problem or a you problem? It's, it's a you problem. Yeah, he may be without a day's wage. You now stand condemned before God. One of those is, slightly, is a slightly bigger deal than the other. And, and, and if you're not sure which one's which, then we can talk later. But <laughs> and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. I love that the NASB just transliterates that instead of translates it, just because it's, it's more fun to say Sabaoth. It just means hosts. So your, uh, your NIV, would your, um, typically the NIV translates that all the time as Lord of hosts. So Lord of everything, the sky, the angels, everything that is visible. We've already been warned about the nature of sin by James. You go back to chapter 2. If you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point has become guilty of all. You don't get to say, well, I was driving 90 in the school zone, but I used my turn signals. Like, is that, does that make it okay? Like, I yielded, I only passed in the passing zone, I used my turn signals, everything was above board. I even stopped at the stop sign. Yeah, but it was 90 in a, in a 35. Eh, it's one thing. No, you're getting a ticket because you are guilty. Same thing. You don't get to sit there and say, well, I allowed the poor to glean from my fields, and I rotated my crops, and I honored the Sabbath. I just don't pay anybody for the work that they do. <laughs> Silly things. Look at everything else I got right. This is not a scale that is balanced because all of our deeds, when measured against God's standard, are broken. This is, again, why we want to have a consistent standard, Christian, because where is your righteousness found? If your righteousness is found anywhere else other than in Christ, then you have put it in an idolatrous place. What's the only thing an idol can do for its worshiper? Keep you warm. (laughs) Into the fires with you. 
<laughs> this is the first death. No. <laughs> See, somebody got my revelation joke. Yes. <laughs> See, I, I, I appreciate bad Bible humor. Years ago, I can pick on her because she's not in here. Um, when Cameron was pregnant with Connor, so first go around. We, um, one of our doctor's appointments, the doctor was explaining everything that happens to a woman after birth. And I will spare you the gory details. If you know, you know. If you don't, you don't. And how that can kind of linger for days, depending on the woman. And so I was, we were sitting there in the office, and he was being, you know, he was a little uncomfortable having this conversation. He's trying to be very polite and technical about it. And I finally sat there and said, so basically what you're telling me is for like for about two weeks after, after our son's born, I just need to walk in front of Cameron and yell unclean everywhere we go. And he starts to chuckle about like that. And then he laughs. He goes, did you honestly just make a Leviticus joke? And I went, did you just get my Leviticus joke? I'm like, we're never leaving. We are going to this doctor for everything. For this, that we can't go to another doctor because no one else would understand me like this. This is awesome. So yeah, so, so I appreciate bad Bible humor. So yeah, you t- when you take the idol off and throw it into the fire because it's no use, that is the first death, right? <laughs> but no, the idol breaks your heart because it can't do anything else. And when you decide that my goodness, my balancing of the scales is going to be enough, well, guess who your idol is? You, you're going to ruin yourself because you're eventually going to lie about where the scales are and you're doomed, which you were always doomed from the start. Our righteousness is imputed to us. It is given to us by Christ. He is good. He has kept the law. He has fulfilled the festivals. He has done all of this on our behalf. We walk faithfully because he has accomplished and because the Holy Spirit is empowering. Without that, we have nothing, nothing. So we lean into him for everything. That's why my wisdom is found in Christ. That's why I guard my heart and my actions in Christ. That's why I am careful in Christ. It's not because I don't want to find myself doing something wrong. I don't want to find myself walking away from the God who has redeemed me and dishonoring the work that he has accomplished. That is where I wish to land. Verse 5, you have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. I can't not make this joke, so. In other words, let's summarize that really well. If you have lived your best life now, you are doomed. And if you got that one, you're welcome. And if you didn't get that one, well, don't worry about it. It's okay. 1 Corinthians 15, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Go back to Ecclesiastes. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure, so enjoy yourself, and behold, it too was futility. Because when my life is lived all about me getting good stuff, my idol will crush me. Because you know what? You ever ever loved... and just wanted something so bad you couldn't stand it? Whether when you're a teenager you wanted a car or a piece of clothing or something? Did it ever, one, live up to the hype? And two, did it last forever? (laughs) You're thinking of something right now, and you're like, and you're like, I still wish I had it. 
but it can't satisfy, it can't redeem, it can't rescue, it can't do anything. Now, fun little thing. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter? James 4. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Where's your joy? It's a day of slaughter because as you live in this world and you look at everyone going about their day doing everything, where does it lead? What does it promise and what will it grant them? God's judgment upon sin is not a joke. It is not something that we should ignore or forget. It is something that we should be reminded of on a regular basis because it is the thing that should help spur us as we see this world. Remember, they're not the enemy. That's one of the reasons why I said it would be fun if the protesters broke in because they're not the problem. They're deceived. They've been conned. They're following after their dad and he's a deadbeat jerk. He's a liar and a murderer. They can't do anything else. They're the prize. That's why we fight. That's why we proclaim Christ. That's why we stand firm and bear up so that we can honor him in our proclamation because only then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words concerning Christ. That's the message that changes hearts and minds. I'm not going to change the action, but if I can change the heart by the message of the gospel, then the mind is renewed and the actions are changed moving forward. That's why we care. They're not the problem. They're not the enemy. They're the victory. They're how God is glorified. He can save me. He can surely save them. That's the message we should always be reminded of and the message we should always be carrying. This is how we have to view the world because there's not another way. It's a day of slaughter. Judgment upon sin will be merciless, and it should be. Be honest. Do you want sin just to get a pass? No, you want it what? You want it gone. You want all of it gone. You want justice, and God will deliver it, either upon them or upon Christ. We stand because our, because our sin has been judged in Christ. We proclaim because that is the hope we have for everyone, that the same way that I got in is the same way they get in. Renewing by the Spirit, changing hearts and minds so that they walk faithfully because the Spirit is now guiding finish up. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. James just just has no quarter for this, does he? He is going to take every single sin and problem and lay it bare. Can the man who has been wronged by this, can the poor man that has been cast aside by the rich man here in James 5, can he do anything about this in this world? Does he have any real recourse? I mean, even today, I mean, if you're wronged by Coca-Cola, what are you going to do about it? (laughs) Even if you sue him, you ever going to get anything out of it? No. Why? Because every human system eventually has its favorites and has its ways that it works out to protect itself. Because why? Humans are sinful, so the things that we construct a lot of times to serve us do what? Serve those sinful interests. Deuteronomy 32. Vengeance is mine in retribution. In due time their foot will slip, for the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. For the Lord will vindicate his people and will have compassion on his servants when he sees that their strength is gone and there are none remaining, bond or free. 
This is one of the reasons why I can be reminded that they're not the enemy. I don't have to worry about it. What's the, jo- what's the standard again? You're awful. Repent and believe. Oh yeah, what about you? I'm awful. That's why I had to repent and believe. It's the same standard because it's the same problem. I don't have to win. Christ has already won. I can simply be faithful and stand firm because his victory is assured. I don't have to take vengeance. I don't have to have retribution. I will get justice in eternity because your sin will either be poured out in judgment upon you or upon Christ. And either way, justice will be accomplished. In other words, there's an easy way or a hard way. Please choose the easy way. (laughs) Because that's what we long for with people who are just like us. Verse Peter 4. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment, sober of spirit for the purpose of prayer. And above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's being faithful now. That's using the gifts that the Spirit has given me to serve the kingdom now. That's trusting in his wisdom now. And that's walking knowing that while now may not be good, he has promised a kingdom that is. Ecclesiastes 12, we've used it a bunch. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. And Christian, we rejoice. Because they say, yes, judge everything. Because Christ has cleansed everything. Judge my heart. Judge my mind. Judge my actions. Because in Christ they are renewed. And while I am warring against the the corruption of them day by day, Christ will see me through. Because his spirit will not abandon me and his kingdom will not cast me out. 1 Timothy 6. Flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That's being faithful when? Now, trusting that who will carry you through? Not me, him. That my end will be good because that is what he has promised. That my work will be good because that is what he is building and strengthening. Because he has renewed me and he has refreshed me. Why? Because he has rescued me. And he hasn't rescued me to set me on the road and go, all right, figure it out. Let me know how it turns out. You know, it's the Billy Crystal character, right? Have fun storming the castle. Like, you're on your own, kid. No, no, we're not on our own. We have this, not because we are good, but because he has this, because he is good. So my wisdom is found in him revealed through his word, guiding my actions, because my actions are grounded in him, because my hope is found in him, because my walk is ultimately cleansed and set upon his work. This is where my life is led. And if you find it anywhere else, guess what you just discovered? The thing you get to go fight. Enjoy it, because God has gone, hey, you see that sin over there? Let's go kill it. And you looked at that sin and went, I hate that thing. That's a sign of rejoicing, because you know what the pagan says when he sees his sin? Nothing, because you know what he doesn't see? His sin. 
So God has loved. God has moved. God has worked. He has strengthened. Rejoice and place your faith in him. Let's pray.